Spark Media presents Cosmic Creatures by Jason Kent Nord. Performed for you by Adam Anagnostu, Mike Kelly, John Yonker, and Luke Langfeld. Sound design by Dan Steffens. This episode contains content that may be alarming to some listeners. Please check the episode notes for more detailed descriptions. And now, Episode 3, Breakthrough. Traveling the quiet two-lane road through the Forested Valley, we finally reach the drive that enters this secluded campus of high-tech human activity. Turning in, we gain a full view of the corporate Quantum Labs Inc. sign, staged low amidst a small island of landscaping. To many, it may seem a simple sign, but to me, it's, it's a beacon. Simply passing beyond its threshold generates a flutter of excitement in my chest that I'm really going to see it for myself. Only glimpses of the modern complex can be seen through the trees, and I lean to and fro to catch more of them as we proceed down the lane. The car gradually comes to a stop behind the barrier arm at a tiny security hut that stands in the middle of the divided drive. Dr. Hagen lowers his window and nods to the guard as he reaches his badge out to the electronic scanner. The security officer's glance up from his phone becomes a, a lingering double-take as he processes the sight of a car full of teenage passengers. His circumspect look hints that he might normally regard us as trouble. The scanner beeps, and the barrier arm slowly rises, giving us access. Anticipation rises, and I glance up at the rearview mirror to catch Dr. Hagen smiling back at me. Nick and Ellie seem far less enthused, probably finding themselves too old for bring-your-kid-to-work day and not interested enough to really appreciate what they do here. Ever since they broke ground here five years ago, the mere presence of this place has meant that even if I get stuck in this middle-of-nowhere town, I could still have a shot at a career in quantum physics. I've read everything I could find about this place, which hasn't been much. I'm not sure what they are working on exactly. I don't know if that's because it's a secret or because nobody would understand it if they talked about it. And now that I'm about to find out, I'm stirring in my seat. The sleek, modern campus draws into view as we approach. From first glance, Quantum Labs, Inc. seems to be a series of interconnected one-story office buildings that are all attached to a large, windowless structure about the size of a Walmart, but way taller. Flanking this centerpiece are various power plant structures, cooling towers, and a small array of huge dishes that face the sky. There's eight of them, and they look like giant radio telescopes, but with conical structures at the center of the dishes that I'm not familiar with. It gives me massive vibes. I want to start spewing questions, but I bite my lip as we pull into Dr. Hagen's reserved parking spot, near the main entrance. Finally here and out of the vehicle, the chance to take in the full sights helps me stop from rushing to the door with too much eagerness. Ellie seems to notice my excitement anyway, and she smiles as she turns to follow her dad. Entering, we encounter a manned security checkpoint replete with metal detectors, a plexiglass vestibule, and a bag scanner. It might not cut it for a, a government or military installation, but it feels pretty serious for an out-of-the-way facility in our neck of the woods. The paper mill might be the only other place with any security personnel in the whole region. I guess we're a change of pace for the officers, and they're all looking at us with interest as we walk up. Normally I'd feel self-conscious, but I'm just too excited to be here. Good morning, Dr. Hagen, one of them says. Looks like you've got some company today. Who do we have here? These are my kids, Nick and Ellie. And this is Cale Rhodes, a friend of Nick's, who's staying with us for a while. Kids, this is, this is Officer Lutz, head of security. Another officer hands us each a clipboard with a card to fill out. 
while Dr. Hagen informs him that he's giving us a tour and whatnot. Writing in my name is easy enough, as is the Gust Elf line. I pause at the other questions, like company name and other contact info. Officer Lutz notices Nick, Ellie, and I hesitating and says, You can skip the middle and just put facility tour for purpose of visit. Dr. Hagen places his work bag on the bag scanner, takes a small round bin in which he deposits his keys and phone, and hands it to another security officer before going through the metal detector. Officer Lutz hands us each the same trays, instructing, Keys, phones, and anything metal. I hand mine back, having nothing to put in. Phone? Officer Lutz nudges. Making eye contact, I say sheepishly, I don't have one. Not having a phone really sucks sometimes, but Dad can't. Uh, uh, couldn't afford it. Thankfully, Officer Lutz doesn't reply. I pass through the metal detector without worry. Once we are all through the detector, we are handed visitor badges, and Officer Lutz sends us off with a wink and a warning. Stay out of trouble for me now. As we pass through the halls, Dr. Hagen introduces us to a dozen or so strangers. I won't remember names as I'm too distracted trying to take in every detail about this place. We stop at his office so we can don his white lab coat and drop off his bag. I notice the family photos on his desk, including various school pictures of Nick and Ellie. <laughs> She's always been cute. I wonder if he will feel obligated to add a picture of me someday. Then I wonder if Dad used to have a picture of me on his desk when he was a manager at the mill. Returning through the large main reception area, we head down a hallway toward a large set of metal double doors. Our destination ends up just short of them, on the right, where a row of windows and a glass door reveals a room filled with computers, monitors, and control panels. Dr. Hagen stops, opens the glass door, and motions to us to enter, cheerfully announcing, Here we are! I note that the room is labeled Control Center. Strikes me as odd. Not main lab or, or central office, but Control Center. Controlling the uh, array outside, perhaps? The NASA vibes intensify. I can't help but feel I'm about to learn something really cool. Inside, I first note that there is a large observation window on the left that provides a view into the space behind the large double doors we saw in the hall. Drawn to it, I see that the space on the other side is, is huge. There's a sunken, sterile floor and a ceiling lined with millions of odd cones. But the space is otherwise empty. My attention shifts back to the control center's interior, where Ellie and Nick are standing by the door, not really sure how to react. Dr. Hagen is focused on me, smiling at my undeniable enthusiasm for being here. I offer a sheepish grin, and then continue to take everything in. In the center of the room, there's an island console station, with various buttons, controls, indicators, and a built-in phone. On the far wall are numerous stations, printers, machines, and pieces of equipment, with a large monitor hanging above one station. Under it, a lone technician is fully engrossed in his work, not paying us any attention. I'm curious, and casually circle around the center island to get near enough to see his computer screen. Ever since the discovery of the Higgs boson particle, Dr. Hagen explains, we've had big ideas and even bigger investors. Quite frankly, we're jumping ahead of ourselves even now, but the investors insist. We're aggressively attempting to capture remote physical matter. He pauses dramatically for a reaction. Ellie's is mischievously sarcastic. Capture it? What's the matter? She giggles. Nick groans. I smile at her delight, but only briefly. As Dr. Hagen's revelation gives me the context that allows me to study the technician's screen. Funny, Dr. Hagen acknowledges Riley before continuing. The Higgs boson is associated with a field that exists everywhere, even in space, even. He points to the large observation window in the room beyond. 
in that room, when objects interact with this field, the Higgs field, they are given mass. Now, think of the Higgs field like a fabric. With any fabric, there are tiny gaps between the threads. Theoretically, if you hit those gaps and avoid the Higgs field, you can move an object through space without it obtaining mass. That's especially difficult because the field, like all particles, is moving, or rather vibrating. Our objective is to slide through the gaps in the field by matching its vibrations. Though listening, I'm enthralled by the computations I'm seeing on the technician's screen. I step closer for a better look. So, in English, Ellie prompts. He's trying to dodge god particles to essentially create a, a wormhole, I translate, in more teen-friendly terms. Still distracted by the computer readings. Though, not too distracted to notice out of the corner of my eye that Dr. Hagen is studying me with a fascinated smile. So you're saying that my dad is taking on God? She says. Nick doesn't seem too invested. All he says is, uh, cool, while looking around like a guy waiting for his family to be done with the museum so they can move on to something fun. A charismatic female voice rings out from behind me. Pretty fancy broom, isn't it? I turn to see the powerful, chipper presence of one of Dr. Hagen's fellow scientists. A petite woman, likely in her thirties. She defies expectations. In every movie I've seen, Asian-American scientists, like her, are portrayed as demure or all business. But beneath the white lab coat is a confident, outspoken woman with a loud blouse and black, skin-tight leather pants fit for a rock star. <laughs> ah, Dr. Mintz. I'd like to introduce you to my kids, Ellie and Nick. And this is our neighbor, Kale. Kale has some serious scientific aptitude. Dr. Mintz quirks an eyebrow and studies me, as much as I study her. Ah, fellow nerdy nerd, eh? She celebrates. He read my book, brags Dr. Hagen. Get out of here! She exclaims as she lashes a backhanded slap across his shoulder. That's one at least now, right? Dr. Hagen feeds her energy. He said some stuff was wrong but he found my Higgs avoidance theory quite interesting. I like this kid, she exults, grinning at me with a twinkle in her eye. Side glancing at Nick and Ellie, she adds, You two are just okay. They both crack a smile, enjoying her sense of humor. But let's all get one thing straight, Dr. Mintz continues. It was my theory. Yeah, yeah, she likes to think so, but don't be fooled, Dr. Hagen retorts. Your dad is the brains around here, he steers at Nick and Ellie. The knowing smirks on Dr. Hagen's and Dr. Mintz's faces reveal a long-standing friendly game of credit claiming. What room are you talking about? Ellie asks, grabbing Dr. Mintz's attention. It gives me a chance to resume studying the technician's work. And now that he's more tuned into the room, he's a bit surprised to find me peering so closely over his shoulder. He looks annoyed, so I flash an apologetic grin, but return to consuming his screen. Ah, yes. Good question, Ellie. Our goal is to capture space dust, Dr. Minz explains. One of our investors didn't quite appreciate the significance, spending billions to collect dust. So it's kind of a running joke. This room is the broom, and over there is the dustpan. I turned to see her pointing at the observation window. I want to join and catch her introduction to the space, but, but something the technician just entered grabs my attention. It's a frequency. It looks familiar. I'm pretty sure I've studied it before. Dr. Hagen notices my interest and decides it's time to introduce the technician. Kids, this is Jawhens, he says. Right now, he is actually preparing a test that we are going to launch today. And with any luck, you might witness the greatest scientific breakthrough of this century. 
or die in a giant explosion. Dr. Mint's deadpans. Either one. Pausing and getting the concerned expressions she wanted from Nick and Ellie, she cracks up. Kidding! <laughs> I'm kidding the kids. I like your kids, she says and turns to them and Dr. Hagen. Don't worry, kids, it's safe. Theoretically. I don't hear whatever Dr. Hagen replies because I'm fixated on the frequency. Your frequency is off, I declare impulsively. Jahan slowly turns to stare at me with a dismayed look that's both quizzical and disbelieving. However, seeing a nod from Dr. Hagen, Jahan scoffs and rolls his chair back to give Dr. Hagen room to look. I don't care about any defensiveness or irritation on Jahan's part because I think I actually understand this. And if I do, I'm sure I'm right. Dr. Hagen is about to take the keyboard when Dr. Mince overrules him. Nope, I want to see what he's got first, she says, motioning for me to take over. I barely hesitate. I step up to the keyboard and start typing the correct frequency. The energy scales discovered at CERN were samples. I think the resting value is off. Dr. Mince's fun energy melts into serious recognition as she crowds in and watches me enter new values in several places. It's like I've stepped into a scene from A Beautiful Mind, where everything feels like all oh, this was prepared for me to arrive and serve my purpose in life. I just run with it and freely change values as they come to me. Kale, what are you thinking here? Dr. Mince prods. I feel a surge of excitement as Dr. Hagen, Jahens, and Dr. Mince lean in, all curious about where I'm headed and why. <laughs> Gravitons interact, affecting the field density. I've been working out equations at home, I start to explain. Does this launch nukes? Nick jokingly interrupts from the middle of the room. In unison, Dr. Hagen, Dr. Mince, and Jahens turn and react in varying degrees of alarm, resulting in a unison of chorus of, Don't touch that! Nick is examining a big red button in the center island console that is protected by a glass lid. A glass lid that he's lifted open. He jumps back and slinks away, embarrassed. I'm sorry. I was joking. He apologizes meekly. I wasn't going to push it. We turn back to my entries. I spot what looks like coordinates they are targeting. I realize that the frame of reference for these coordinates is the sun. I do the math in my head to decipher the target. Saturn? I ask, intrigued. We're targeting an area at the outermost rings of Saturn, where dust and small debris are likely, an amazed Dr. Mintz replies, staring at me like I'm some ghostly apparition or something. We want physical evidence without large moving masses destroying the place, Dr. Hagen supplies. We're not entirely sure if the last test failed, if we missed it, or if the whole theory is just plain wrong. I don't know why, but I instinctively feel the need to change the coordinates. Not because I have a better idea, but because some inner compulsion is repeating numbers in my head that feel right. They indicate a position outside our solar system. Far outside it. I don't know what is there. And it might be unprofessional to act on a hunch rather than a rational, purposeful basis. But the impulse overtakes me. The coordinates flow from my fingertips as easily as if I'm typing my name. This is where I would try, I declare. Kale, maybe we should slow down a bit, Dr. Hagen starts. That's way out there, Kale, Dr. Mintz interrupts. Why there? I don't know, I shrug, leaning back from the computer. I just would. I mean, they certainly don't have to take the suggestion, and I'm sure they will change them back, but it feels right that I put a stake in the ground. So to speak. With that, I get up and we all stand there in a reflective moment. Ellie breaks the silence. Sounds like you guys should hire Kale. Hear that, Jawhens? Dr. Mintz teases. You're fired. I'm grateful for her humor. Stops me from looking too pleased with myself. But Jawhands doesn't look too pleased at all. 
I don't get it. How does the space dust get in there? Nick asks, staring through the window into an empty dustpan. Yes, the capture bay, Dr. Hagen responds. I can explain. He's pleased with the redirection and motions for me and Ellie to follow him over to the window with Nick. Dr. Mintz and Jawhens are more interested in the entries I changed. With all of us bunched together in a tight space between Jawhen Station and the center console, the path over to Nick is a bit crowded. Ellie and I exchange awkward glances, silently communicating a you-go-first message. We both give in at the same time, accidentally bumping into each other. Flustered, I intend to step around the chair to give way, but the chair leg catches my foot as it slides out when Jawhen sits back down. The stumble sends me face-first into Ellie, and the collision becomes quite intimate. Suddenly swelling with embarrassment, I try to quickly bail out of her space as fast as possible. I lurch toward the dustpan window, but like an idiot, I trip again. I reach out to grab the nearest surface, successfully catching myself, but the relief is short-lived. Warning lights flash as an automated voice descends from overhead speakers. The feeling of a large button under my left hand is now quite distinct. I regain my balance and turn to Dr. Hagen, whose face is deathly pale. His jaw drops and eyes widen in perceptible terror. Dr. Mint spins around in panic. Oh boy, she says, bracing for the moment. What did you do? Jawhands yells at me. The whirring sound of machinery steadily rises in pitch. I find my brain shutting down. I'm stammering now. It, 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 it was an accident. Dr. Mintz barks at Jawhands. Override it. Override it. Jawhands hopelessly punches at the keyboard. Two. Dr. Hagen curls Nick and Ellie at his side and braces for a disaster. One. A flash of light explodes with a whoosh in the capture bay beyond the window. Holy shit. What have I done? The light dims to normal and I can only stand there, gaping in horror, while everyone else races past me to the capture bay window. They all stand there engrossed in disbelief by whatever they're seeing. I can't look. I don't want to know. I slink back further away. I can only imagine the whole room collapsed in an irreplaceable mess of metal and mortar. Guilt and horror begin to thoroughly poison me. Oh. My. God. Ellie gasps. I feel sick. I'm ready to die. I want to shrivel up and disappear into nothingness. To be sucked into a black hole. It was an accident. Jawhens looks back at me like I'm an alien creature again. But Ellie spins with a huge smile. And gestures for me to get over there. I don't understand. she excited that I blew something up? I inch forward. Horror shifts to confusion with each step. As I approach, Nick and Ellie separate to open a space for me at the window. I step in between them, and what I see is overwhelming beyond belief. The once empty expanse has been transformed into an unearthly ecosystem. I don't have the vocabulary to properly describe it. Rather than leaves, branches, trunks, palms, ferns, and so forth, there are shoots, strings, skewers, ribbons, and, and hairs. A lot of it looks like colorful seaweed. Sections of it begin to droop ever so slowly, as if Earth's gravity is a bit too strong. But most of it seems unaffected, standing tall, pert, and luxuriant. Suddenly there's movement in the flora. Something takes flight. Raven-sized creatures with striking purple and green colorations flitter from perch to perch, using wings that churn like waves as much as they fly. Their trifurcated tails function as three legs with sharp claws. 
and their stout beaks are lined with piranha-like teeth. Another outburst of movement spawns a quartet of wildly flapping, dark and leathery flyers that track their way across the length of the bay. Their inelegant display is pierced by a small blur that zips around the bay at high speed. This fervent zipper has a sharp turn and, before I can hardly process it, smacks into the window and plummets to the floor. The impact makes us all flinch backwards. This snaps Dr. Mintz into action. Scan. 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 Run a bioscan. She orders Jahans, waving wildly at him. He jerks away from the window and launches onto his rolling chair, crashing it into a new station. He feverishly sets about punching buttons. Soon a list scrolls up on his screen faster than I can read it. It's off the charts, he squeals. Dr. Mintz bounces between the window and various monitors. Isolate what's moving, she orders. Give me an inventory. Quick! On it, Jahans replies hastily. Cycling digital scans for 3D composites. Dr. Hagen joins their chaotic frenzy as Nick, Ellie, and I trade astonished expressions. Put it on the big screen, Jawhens, Dr. Hagen orders, unsatisfied with peering over his shoulder. Unable to see anything that isn't flying, Nick, Ellie, and I turn away from the window to watch the large monitor. We can see what Jawhens is seeing. The screen cycles through digital, monochromatic representations of strange creatures. Each is automatically assigned an exhibit number as the scan finds it. The Radical Ravens are Exhibits 0001 through 0008. The Flappers are 0009 through 0012. The Wounded Zipper that hit the window is 0013. Another set of bird-like creatures remind me of something tropical. Like parrots, but puffier. There, Exhibits 0014 and 0015. Jawhens announces, 36 exhibits total. Wait, no, 37. Whoa, Nick says pointing to Exhibit 0016. It looks like an extra stocky, tiger-like brute. Its wide, tailless hind end gives it the profile of a muscle car, and it looks to be the size of one, too. As Exhibit 0017 and 0018 appear, Ellie lets out a disgusted, Ew! The smallish rodents have fangs and puffy tails, could be best described as scary super squirrels. As fascinating as the graphics appearing on the screen are, I can't help but want to see these things, these alien animals, with my own eyes. I spin back to the window, nearly leaving a nose print on the glass as I try to spot some of the creatures. I sense Nick and Ellie have done the same, and join on each side of me. See anything? Nick asks, putting both hands up to the window as if it could help him see better. It's hard to see anything through all those weird plants, Ellie responds on my left. Same is true for me. As intensely as I scan about, I can't see anything. Wait. My breath catches. There, I blurt out, pointing. Through a gap in the vegetation, a freaky, fox-like creature steps out from cover and stops. And then, I swear to God, it makes eye contact with me. It's a pink fox with a strange snout. And then, the obvious hits me. Closing my eyes, I can picture it as clearly as if I were back in that moment. The heavenly being encouraging me to look. The beautiful bird-like creatures whisking around the canopies of unusual vegetation. A fox with an elongated snout. My breathing becomes irregular. They're really here. In the real world, in our world, the creatures from that planet, planet I was shown in my near-death experience. I look back at the large monitor, which is now displaying Exhibit 0027, an eight-limbed octo-monkey, for lack of a better description. A bear-like but nearly limbless bundle of fur is Exhibit 0028. Everyone startles. Whatever it was, it had some force behind it. 
The building vibrates. My senses of wonder and amazement give way to fear and dread. Oh my god. Dad? Dad! Look! Ellie shouts out from near the door. She points through the glass door to the hall. There are now large dents in the capture bay's heavy metal doors. I'm just about to verbalize the obvious question of what could it be when the large doors explode open. A massive creature. Much like the, a, a gorilla with longer legs and a mutant rhino's head stands dazed in the hallway. The meager glass door between us feels immensely insufficient. Oh dear god, Dr. Hagen exclaims at the same time Dr. Mincy yells, Holy shit! Done looking, Ellie bolts toward the console in the middle of the room and ducks behind it, hiding from the creature's sight. I try to follow, but find myself transfixed on Rhino Head. My legs have turned to jelly and capable of rapid flight. Slowly, I drop down to the ground and scoot halfway under a console across from Ellie. It gives me some cover, but I can't remove myself completely from the line of sight of this extraordinary beast. Out of my periphery, I see Nick taking cover in the farthest corner under a measurement station. Dr. Hagen and Dr. Mintz are standing frozen, staring at each other, not knowing what to say or do. Jahan sits frozen in his chair, staring. It's almost as if they're all hoping they won't be seen as if they don't move. Good idea. I stiffen and go completely still. Call security. Dr. Mintz urgently mutters through clenched teeth, not moving. After a second of hesitation, she bails on standing in plain sight and dashes across the room to join Nick in the far corner. Dr. Hagen, also regaining his ability to move, deftly slips over to the wall to duck down out of sight beside the door. Jawhens blinks and then grabs a phone from his station, hits a button, and waits for it to ring. I opt to slide forward to join Ellie, who sits holding her knees tight to her chest behind the center island console. I awkwardly scoot into place, press my back against it, and turn to peer around the side toward the door. Other creatures are entering the hallway from the catcher bay and slinking around Rhino Head. Something yellow and furry bounds past. Something blue, too. Jawhens, fully distracted by the sight of this, struggles to stay on task, but manages to relay into the phone. Uh, we have an emergency. He's not sure how to articulate it, and simply lets it out. Um, creatures from another planet have broken out of the capture bay. I can hear the click as the line goes dead. Hello? Jawhens asks, surprised. Rhino Head and several other creatures rush down the hall toward the offices. Annoyed, Jawhens hangs up with a clunk and dismissively cracks. Oh, they'll figure it out. A scream from down the hall confirms as much. Another creature barges into the hallway. Its stout body and two largest appendages resemble a, a massive crab with clubs instead of pincers. It's both furry and furious. Crabby spies Jawhens through the glass door, spins, and smashes through it, sending glass shattering into the room. Despite ducking to avoid the spray glass, I can see other creatures wisely steering clear of Krabby as they scurry past. Print the list! Dr. Hagen calls out to Jawhens. What? Jawhens asks dumbly, understandably distracted. Print the list! Dr. Hagen shouts again. Before it smashes this place to hell, print the exhibits! More screams from down the hall. More bird creatures zip down the hall past the control center. Print? No! Save! Starts Dr. Mintz before gunfire interrupts. Pops echo loudly from the lobby down the hall. We don't have time to think about that, though. Krabby enters the room, hissing at us. Or maybe barking? Something like angry sneezing. It steals our attention as it rapidly torques itself into a violent spin. And in a flash, it smashes the printer into a dozen pieces. To my office! Send it to my office, printer! Screams Dr. Hagen. Save it to the network, you idiot! Dr. Mintz rebuts. It's not uploading! 
Dr. Mintz looks more afraid of what Jahan's just declared than of Krabby's presence. Shouts, print it then, damn it! Print it, print it! I'm trying! The poor technician whines. Krabby stops spinning for a moment, perhaps regrouping, and then seems to take aim at Jahan's and winds back into a spin. Dr. Hagen jumps up and tosses a spare chair at the thing to distract it from Jahan's as he sits there, petrified in precarious proximity to it. Krabby's rotations swat the chair right back at Dr. Hagen, knocking him to the floor. Dad! Ellie yelps. He only groans in response from the other side of the center console. The creature seems momentarily holed, like a gyroscope, assessing which direction to veer. I grab Ellie and pull her farther away to another console. Cowering there, I turn to see if it has chosen to pursue us. No. Instead, it finally dips towards Jahens, who turns to his workstation, punches a couple keys, and dives off the chair just in time. Computer fragments scatter. Screens flicker and go dark. Jawhands scrambles over to join Dr. Mintz and Nick in the far corner. Krabby spins about recklessly, like a whirling dervish, and smashes a hefty chunk of the console that Ellie and I had been hiding under. It then turns and plows into the console to my immediate right. There's nothing Ellie and I can do but cower into balls and hope for the best. Thankfully, the destruction pauses, and I dare to peek. The alien wrecking ball has stopped spinning and is backing into the open area between the door and the bay window. It focuses on Dr. Hagen as he scrambles to his feet. With a new target, it launches again into a spin. Krabby reels backwards. He flops onto the floor, motionless. Officer Lutz stands in the doorway, wisps of gun smoke lingering in the air. I finally feel secure to unravel and assess the others. Dr. Mintz puts a hand on her heart. Nick rushes to his father's side, white as a ghost. Are there any more? Officer Lutz asks. On cue, a few more creatures pour out of the capture bay and flee down the hall behind him. They move so fast my brain can't process their anatomies. One large something knocks Officer Lutz to the floor. His legs are nearly trampled, but he manages to pull himself fully into the control room. Before he can fully regroup, a nasty little gremlin-like thing, its disposition dominating any physical attributes, stops at the door to unleash a vicious hiss that freezes us once more. Then, in a flash, it bounds down the hallway and out of sight. We all release a collective breath. Officer Lutz! Stammers a dazed Dr. Hagen. Dr. Mintz rushes over to Officer Lutz to help him up. We need to barricade the capture bay before they all get out, she commands. Officer Lutz, Dr. Mintz, and Dr. Hagen all rush into the hallway, crunching glass under their feet. The dented dustpan door barely hangs on its hinges, and they push it to a mostly closed position. Each of them grabs chunks of destroyed equipment to pile up a barricade. Nick quickly joins the effort. Ellie and I trade nonverbal, shell-shocked exclamations. Officer Lutz greets newly arrived officers. Get this doorway secured! Find something to hold it and stand guard! Of Dr. Mintz, he asks. What the hell happened? No time! Did any get outside? She asks, pointing down the hallway to the main reception area. Yes. Dr. Mintz and Dr. Hagen stiffen and involuntarily reach for their heads. Dr. Hagen massaging his face while Dr. Mintz rubs her temples. Their shared understanding of the gravity of this news is more than obvious. We've got biologicals on the loose. Dr. Mintz says. Dr. Hagen swallows hard and nods. We killed one, Officer Lutz offers. Two, counting that one, he motions to Krabby. I think the rest got out, but I can't be sure there aren't some still left in the building. And we don't know what's left in the capture bay, Dr. Mintz says. We need to run another bioscan to see what's still in there. And what got out. Everything's toast. The bioscanner, the CPU, all of it, bemoans Jawhens. Did you print the scan to my office? Dr. Hagen asks Jawhens. He nods, and Dr. Hagen exhales in relief, but Dr. Mintz flails her arms in exasperation. 
The first documentation of alien life, and it's a single hard copy. The incredulous Dr. Mintz laments with widening eyes. What? Are we cavemen now? I'll scan it and make copies, Dr. Hagen says, refocusing. And we'll need to get a new bioscanner up and running. Jawhens, come with me and let's figure out a bioscanner, Dr. Mintz orders. To Dr. Hagen, she adds, get that printout. She hurries out and down the hall with Jawhens in tow. Dr. Hagen looks over at me. His expression is inscrutable. I can only hang my head. I feel terrible. It was an accident. I inaudibly whisper. I can't say anything more. Deadly biological contaminants from another planet have been unleashed on Earth. This could spawn a catastrophe unlike anything humans have witnessed. One that could threaten the survival of our planet. And it's all my fault. We hope you've enjoyed Cosmic Creatures, a Spark Media production. This program was directed and executive produced by H.G. Zeisler. Featuring the voice talents of Adam Anagnostu as Kale Rhodes, Mike Kelly as Russell Rhodes, John Yonker as Dr. Elliot Hagen, and Luke Langfelt as Major Roggy. Text copyright 2022 by Jason Kent Nord. Illustrations including cover and episode art by Meredith Tuvey. Sound design by Dan Steffens. Story edits by Emily Nord and H.G. Zeisler. A special thanks to our founding Spark storytellers. Enjoyed what you heard? Check out more Spark stories and find out more about Spark Media on our website, sparkmedia.com. That's S-P-R-Q-M-E-D-I-A.com. Or check us out on Instagram or Facebook at Spark Media. Links in episode notes. Interested in telling stories? Apply to be a Spark Storyteller today. We're looking for writers, editors, composers, voice talent, and more. It takes a village to tell a story, and we need you. Link in episode notes. Audio production copyright 2024 by Spark Media LLC, all rights reserved.